last year, when we had our annual meeting, uh, attendance was pretty sparse that day, too. And so this morning, when I saw attendance was pretty sparse, I was thinking, oh, people don't want to have to give excuses for why they can't stay for the exciting annual meeting. But then I had an aha as Phil was talking, and it was two words, American football. Hmm. Priority, well, there is Tahoe. There is Tahoe. But there is a football game, I heard. You all are far more superior and holy, and that's what we're going to talk about today, is how we are all more superior and holy. Um, before we jump in this morning, we're going to be continuing our series through uh, uh, this uh, series we're calling The Body, talking about the church, and we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 12 again this morning, if you want to turn there. Before we jump there, uh, I got an email this past week from a friend of mine, a guy I've really gotten to know just over the, in the past year, uh, someone who many of you know far better than I do. Uh, and have known for years and years, and that's my friend Dieter Zander. And he emailed me, and, and I knew that he was considering moving to Portland. I had no idea it was going to happen this quickly. He's moving to Portland uh, to uh, help care for his ailing parents. And so he emailed me, and he said, Matt, uh, could I speak to the Bamerin community before I leave? And I said, absolutely. Uh, and so he's going to be with us next Sunday, um, and he's going to share with us uh, before he moves to Portland. And uh, if you've ever experienced this at Bay Marin, when, when someone moves, uh, we often do this thing called a litany of farewell. And, and Dieter has asked, would the Bay Marin community be willing to do a litany of farewell for me? Yes. Uh, and so uh, Dieter will be with us next Sunday. He will share his heart with us uh, next Sunday, and we will do a litany of farewell for Dieter and wish him the best as he goes to Portland uh, to be with his parents and help care for them as they are aging. So uh, you won't want to miss next Sunday here at Bay Marin. And then uh, I want to remind you also, don't forget, we're having another retreat. Uh, I signed the contract this past week, so it's happening. I'm going to be there. Uh, hope you're going to be there. All right. Let's jump into 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Um, we've been looking at uh, this letter that Paul wrote in the first century to the city of Corinth uh, in the Roman Empire. And uh, he's, he has a lot to say to these folks. We jumped in uh, at the end of 1 Corinthians 11, um, and now we're in the middle of 1 Corinthians 12. Uh, he had things to say to them about why and how to partake of the Lord's Supper, the bread and the cup. And uh, this, um, this idea uh, at our last elder meeting, it got uh, us having a conversation around uh, why do we partake of this and, and how often should we partake of this. And, and I was uh, really interested to hear from the elders, uh, several of them, most of them said, we should actually, we should begin doing this every week. And so we're going to do that. Uh, and we want to remain sensitive to what God is doing in our midst. And if a season comes where we say, you know what, every week, we're not going to do it every week anymore, then we'll not do it every week. But for a season, we're going to begin partaking of this every week because uh, there's something beautiful and central about 
remembering the body and blood of Christ, what Christ has done for us on the cross and, and the new life he's given us through the power of the resurrection. And, uh, you know, in Western culture, in the Sunday morning experience, what, what we've done is we've primarily made the central event about the teaching or preaching of the word. And if it's okay with you, we'll continue to do that. Uh, I kind of like my job, and I think it's important, and I think it is central. Uh, but this is something we do together, where we live into the story of Jesus together. And as a community, we remember what Christ has done, and we long for his return. And so uh, we'll be doing this each Sunday together. Um, And so last week, we looked at this idea of spiritual gifts, and we, uh, we learned that we're all charismatics, even Greg Watson. Uh, and um, that, that Paul talks about this idea of these gifts, the Greek word charisma, where we get the idea of charismatic. Uh, these gifts, these charisma that the Spirit gives to each of us. And so we all have charisma. Even if you think your personality doesn't reflect charisma, you have charisma, a gift or gifts from the Spirit. And so where we're picking up this morning is in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12, where Paul really launches into this idea, this metaphor of the body. And he says, just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. And so Paul is over and over again reasserting this idea that the church has diversity yet unity. That the church is made up of all sorts of different people with different ideas, different opinions, different, you name it, everything. And yet they all come together in oneness in God as one body. He, uh, he has said this earlier, what we looked at last week in verse 4. He says, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. And then he says, verse 12, just as a body, though one, has many parts, all its many parts form one body. And he continues, verse 13, for we are all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether different, Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. And so... Paul is honing in on the beauty of this unity. The unity of God who expresses God's self in different ways through Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This mystery of the Godhead who somehow is three, yet one, is reflected in the beauty of the church who are many and different and express ourselves in different ways, and yet come together in a beautiful, harmonious oneness. If 
there's division, if there's brokenness, it's not going to function the way God has invited us to function as the church, who are one. And so the biblical writers will use these different metaphors to talk about God, to talk about the church, because our human language ultimately fails us. And the best we can come up with are metaphors to try to understand this union we have with God and this union we have with each other. Jesus uses different metaphors. One of the more famous ones is his metaphor of talking about, I am the vine, you are the branches. Remain in me and you will bear much fruit. And so we have this beautiful metaphor of the vine and the branches to help us just begin to tap into what it means to live in this union with God and with each other as the many branches all connected to the same vine. And the beautiful thing is when we think about this, and Paul says elsewhere that that Jesus is the one that holds all things together, that ultimately everything is connected. And science is is showing us this as uh, science continues to explore the connectedness of all things, the diversity of ecosystems and the diversity of everything on the planet, and yet the interconnectedness of all of it. And we're only beginning to discover the beauty and mystery of all of that. Uh, I don't know how many of you saw in the news last week that they think they've discovered a ninth planet to uh, replace Pluto, which got dethroned from being a planet. Uh, this, uh, they, they found these uh, things revolving around something that they think is 10 times the size of Earth, this massive planet that they think they've discovered. And it's so far, far out in our solar system, they think it takes 10,000 years to make one revolution around the sun. When we th- that's just our solar system. When we think about the expanse of the universe and that it's all connected somehow and that Jesus holds it all together, sustaining it in its interconnectivity. That God is so far beyond us And yet, so close he lives within us. This is the same God who created the expanse of the universe, who lives in us and holds us together as his body. Now, in the Roman world, this metaphor of the body was not new to people. Uh, Paul is taking, as he often does, something from his culture and thinking about it in a new and different way. And so there were speeches given, there were things that were written in the first century about the Roman Empire as a body. That the social body or the political body or the civic body, this metaphor was used in ancient Rome. And it was used to talk about the emperor as the head of the body. And that everyone else in Rome were its many parts who needed to play their part. And it was often talked about to keep people in their place. And if you didn't play your part, the heavy hand of Rome would come down on you. Paul takes this metaphor 
And though he doesn't do it here in Corinthians, elsewhere, he often talks about Jesus as the head of the body. And the body being the church. Paul is saying, listen, you've heard about the body as a metaphor. Let me rewrite it for you and help you rethink how it could really function if we look at it with Jesus as the head. Paul is often politically subversive in this way. If he says Jesus is the head of the body, he is then therefore saying Caesar is not the head of the body. Jesus is. And we are its many parts. And we all have our parts to play. But whereas in Rome there was a hierarchy and some people were more important than other people, Paul is going to throw all of that out and say that has no place in the church. In the church, everyone is of equal importance and everyone is vital to the healthy functioning of the body. This is why he says there is no more slave nor free, barbarian, Scythian, male or female. He, he says this several places. There, there is no difference. We are all one in Christ. Verse 14, even so the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now Paul, in the next several verses, he's going to do two things that we're going to explore. First, he's going to talk to people in the church at Corinth who have a low self-estimation of themselves and the gifts they've been given. Then he's going to talk to people in the church at Corinth who have a high self-estimation of themselves and the position or gifts they've been given. So let's start with where Paul starts, with those with a low self-estimation. He says, now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. Paul is talking to those in the church who look at other people and say, look at what they do. Look at who they are. I'm not that, and so I, I really don't fit. He, he uses the phrase, uh, I think, three times, I do not belong. If the New Testament church is about anything, in what Jesus says about us as a community, and what Paul and others say about us as a community, it is this. Everyone belongs. Paul says, how could you say, I do not belong, because I'm not that? Paul says, every part of the body is vital. Every part. 
Doesn't matter who you are or what you do or what your gifting is, you are vital, you are needed, you belong. Every one belongs. Paul says, do not have a low self-estimation of yourself. Live into who God created you to be. I love this quote from Thomas Merton. We have the choice of two identities. The external mask, which Thomas Merton often, he, he talks about it as the false self. The external mask, which seems to be real, and the hidden, the inner person, who seems to us to be nothing. But who can give himself eternally to the truth in whom he subsists? Our vocation is not simply to be, but to work together with God in the creation of our own life, our own identity, our own destiny, to work out our identity in God. That part of human formation, part of what it means to be formed in the way of Jesus is to work out our identity in God. Discover who we are and live into that. Why? Because you are needed. Everyone belongs. Your person is needed in the church. And you're called to work out that person, that identity in God. And this happens through your own silent reflection and time with God, but it also happens in community. That we together help each other discover who we are and what we're called to do. Here's another quote from James K.A. Smith. He says, a kingdom-shaped community cannot be satisfied with private, isolated individuals only reconciled vertically to God. For the manifest witness of such reconciliation will be love of neighbor. And so that's a very broad calling for all of us, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. So, so if you're struggling with what, what is my part to play, I'm not uh, really clear on what I'm called to do uh, in the church and in the world. Well, start with this. Love your neighbor as yourself. And as you live into a healthy vertical relationship with God and a healthy horizontal relationship with others, it'll become clear what God has called you to, both in the church and in the broader community and in the world. God invites us to live into who we are in him. Now Paul moves on to talk to a different group of people in the church. He says in verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And so the first phrase from the first group of people was, I don't belong. Uh, the second phrase for the second group of people was that them saying, I don't need you. When we say, or even think, or even infer in some way that we don't need someone else, that we don't need what they bring to be a part of the body, we encourage the attitude of those who have a self, low self-estimation of saying, I don't belong. 
You see how the two play off each other? If you feel like you don't belong, part of it may be because there are folks in your life who just feel like they don't need you. And Paul is saying, you do belong to this group of people, and he's saying to this group of people, you need them. They are vital to the life of the community. Everyone belongs, everyone is needed. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment, but God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. So there's this group of people in the church of Corinth that have bought into the cultural metaphor of the body, and that is status, position, matter, and those without status and position don't matter. We don't need them. There are people in the church at Corinth that have bought into the Roman idea of the metaphor of the body in that uh, some people are just simply way more important than other people. Uh, Some jobs are more important than other jobs. Uh, Some gifts are more important than other gifts. The whole social status. Now, I know that in our day and age, it's really hard to imagine a society like that. But this is the way it was in first century Rome. And Paul is saying to the church in Corinth, we, as the body of Christ, with Christ as our head, are not like the body metaphor used for Rome. We are different. Everyone belongs. Everyone is needed. Every gift is important. Everyone contributes to the beauty of what makes up the church. And Paul is saying to this group of people, listen, you you have such a high self-estimation of yourself. It doesn't fit in the church. Everyone is equal. Paul says something similar in Romans 12 where interestingly he's using the same metaphor of the body and he's talking about spiritual gifts as well. He says in Romans 12 verse 3, For by the grace given me I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but think of yourself with sober judgment. You know, uh, it's, it's just amazing, the run-up to the 2016 presidential election, that none of the candidates think more highly of themselves than they ought. They're just, they all have just such sober judgment, don't they? <clears throat> I heard uh, yesterday I was driving, listening to NPR, and uh, there's this uh, game on called Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. You familiar with this? Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. And... Uh, they, they were talking about this ninth planet, and they asked each contestant, uh, if we discover this planet, what do you think we'll find on it? And 
the answer one of them gave was Sarah Palin's speechwriter. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Where was I? Thank you. 12-3. Let's get back to the, this writing, the text. Uh, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance to your faith. If it's serving, then serve, and, and so on. Uh, Paul is emphasizing over and over again in this letter he writes to Rome, in the letter he wrote to Corinth, he's saying, we are one. We are one body that displays our uniqueness and our giftedness in a whole diverse way. Don't allow the differences to separate us. Allow the differences to build us up into the beauty of the oneness that God has called us to. He continues in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 26. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Paul often says uh, very similar things in, in different letters. The beauty is we have all the letters that we can read and, and kind of see where Paul is coming from in the different letters he writes. He, he says elsewhere, he says this a little differently. He says, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. He says, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part rejoices, every part rejoices with it. We all know that when we have pain in one area of our body, if you have a massive toothache, it can debilitate your whole body, can it? This is what Paul is saying. If there's someone in the community who's suffering, join them in their hurt, in their pain. Be present to them. Be with them. If there's someone in your community who's rejoicing, join them in their rejoicing. This is a tricky dance, isn't it? Because if someone in the community is suffering and someone else is rejoicing, Paul's saying, suffer and rejoice at the same time. So somehow... We enter into the pain and suffering and hardship of one member of the body, while at the same time we can be happy for and rejoice with someone else in the body. We're called to be present to everyone and recognize that everyone belongs, everyone is needed, to play into this beautiful thing called the body of Christ. This beautiful thing we call the church.
When we looked at 1 Corinthians 11, we talked about uh, how, how the interplay of the use. Actually, can I have that prelude slide, Mary Beth, from 1 Corinthians 10? Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body. For we all share the one loaf. And so there's a participation in the body of Christ, and we who are many are one body. And so we're thinking about the physical body of Christ that was broken for us, while also recognizing that we are one body. And so this morning, when we come and partake of this bread and this cup, let us be a body that remembers the body of Christ broken for us, remembers the blood of Christ shed for us, and also lives into a greater awareness of the one body that we are, the church, that everyone matters. What everyone brings to the church is needed. There are not people who hold higher esteem than others. Everyone is equal. That's part of the beauty of coming to this table, is that everyone belongs. The table levels the playing field. Doesn't matter who you are, Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, doesn't matter. We all come to the one table. We all partake of the one loaf and of the one cup. The table levels the playing field. That's what the church is called to. Oneness in Christ with beautiful diversity sprinkled throughout. God, thank you for the church. Thank you for this church. Thank you for Bamerin. The opportunity to get to be a part of a body, a local body that loves you that loves others. God, I pray that you would cultivate in us by your spirit more and more a longing for oneness with you, more and more a longing for oneness with each other, and more and more a desire to serve you in the world, to bring your hope, to bring your healing, to bring new creation right here in the midst of this one. God, we give you thanks. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. As you go this morning, may you live into the beauty and unique diversity that you all carry with you, and may it join into the beauty of the oneness God has called us to as the church. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his countenance towards you and give you his shalom. 
the very peace of Jesus that surpasses all understanding. Grace and peace be with you. Amen.